This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This podcast is Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard, commonly known as the world's most handsome strategist and professional speaker. I'm also a superhero. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Shareable episode. And that's it. That's the intro. Short and sweet. Let's get to the show. Today on Shareable, Neil Sahota, who is an IBM master innovator, UN Nations, United Nations AI advisor, chief innovation officer, and a globally recognized speaker and author. Neil's the founding member of the UN's AI for Good initiative, and he's here to talk about how we disrupt the box. Neil, what's up? Welcome to Shareable. Hey, Jeff. Awesome to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. So I have you here today. We're going to do a masterclass. We're going to teach people about some stuff. So uh, before we get into it, I gave a little brief introduction. Anything I left out? I know that you've got uh, a book that just came out. Maybe you want to mention that. I, I do. It was named Best Business Book of the Year. It's called Own the AI Revolution. And it had to, it helps you disrupt the box with AI. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. So you've got a super interesting career. Um, for those that uh, want to get to know Neil a little bit better after this, you should go and listen to uh, his appearance on Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson. It is a truly unique um, episode and really enjoyable dive into uh, into AI. They ask a lot of the questions that are probably on your mind about like the Terminator and things like that. So uh, go check that out after you've listened to this one. Um, but today, uh, what do you want to talk about? What do you, uh, what do you want to tell people all about in this lesson, this masterclass? Well, I want everyone to understand that they can actually be a disruptive thinker. Now, it's not the domain of just Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. Or Jeff Gibbard. Or Jeff Gibbard, for sure. I was about just to go there. I mean, you, you kind of set the bar, man. Yeah. <laughs> Bezos has <laughs> been looking up to me. Um, Cool, man. So we're going to talk about disruptive and innovative thinking. I think that's something we could all use a little bit more of, but specifically, who do you think can most benefit from that? I mean, you, you said anybody can do it, but when you're thinking about people who can immediately apply a skill like this, what comes to your mind first of someone who can most benefit from listening to this episode? It, it's really people that are looking to make a change and have the power to see the change through. So you often think of business leaders. So you think of like, you know, management or executives, even board directors, but people have actually put this framework into use for their own like personal lives. Like people actually use this for career development or career change. So it's really for anyone that is looking for that opportunity, but also has the power to act on the opportunity. I dig it. I dig it. So shareable audience uh, goes across a lot of different uh, categories, but I think for this episode, if you are in the shareable audience and you are an entrepreneur, if you are a leader inside of a company, if you're thinking about starting your own side hustle or side gig, and you're trying to think about how to uh, enter a market, approach a market, disrupt a market, I think this is going to be the episode for you. Uh, Neil has got the credentials to be able to show you how to do this. So we're going to go through it. So in terms of why someone would want to think disruptively, in your mind, why is it important to be able to think disruptively, to innovate? You know, if they say, if you're one step ahead, you're a leader. If you're two steps ahead, you're alone. Where do you land on this? And why is innovative thinking one of those things that people listening should, should be paying attention to the rest of this episode? Man, Jeff, I think I'm four steps ahead sometimes. So I don't know where that puts me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's the old adage that people say, adapt or die. Or as my buddy Peter Diamandis tends to say, you got to Uber yourself before you get Kodak. Basically, I mean, if you're not trying to disrupt yourself, someone will disrupt you. 
Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. So for all of you out there, if you are trying to make sure that you have what it takes to stick around, uh, be, be on the path of disrupting yourself or disrupting your competition so that you can get ahead of them. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, before we get too deeply into things, uh, when we look at the concept, the overall concept we're talking about today, disruptive thinking, innovative thinking, um, you know, thinking about things differently to make an impact, what do you think is one of the biggest things that people screw up at, like when trying to do this sort of thinking? Like what, what is a common misconception or what is something that you think typically sends people down the wrong path? Honestly, it's that they think the idea is the most important thing. It's actually not. And that's the, that's the biggest challenge because you come up with something you think is a great idea. You see it from your perspective but you don't know if it actually adds value and if there's actually meaning and it's actually executable. The history is littered with great ideas that went nowhere because there was really no need for them. And conversely, there's been some great ideas that should have been moved on, but the people couldn't explain the value of them. And I always like to pick on Kodak, sorry, Kodak, but you know, they were the kings of film for over a hundred years and the digital camera wound up blowing them away. And the sad part is, well, Steve Sassoon was the guy that invented the digital camera. He was a Kodak engineer and he developed the technology in 1976, 24, four years before anyone else had it, Jeff. That's unreal. I actually didn't know that, but I knew that they had, they were, um, I knew that they were the leader obviously. And then I knew that they, they had the opportunity to capture that market, but kind of passed on it. And that's kind of what led to their demise. I actually didn't know that part about the engineer. Yeah. All right, cool. So um, let's get into it. Let's, let's go through it kind of step-by-step. Step. Um, where do we even start on the process of learning to think more disruptively and more innovatively? Well, the first thing is actually to realize that uh, it's not an aha moment. It's not like the universe just suddenly clicks together and you have this major epiphany. It's like, whoa, that's actually not how like innovative thinking actually occurs. As we do things, as we observe things, we kind of start finding new dots, if you will. And subconsciously, we're starting to interconnect the dots with things we know. It's only when we get to that last dot, the whole picture becomes clear. That's really the aha moment. And so we really need to teach our minds is to start finding those dots and find them faster and connect them faster and actually tap into that disruption. So there's a TED talk that, uh, that uh, goes into how, you know, again, this idea of like, it's not an aha moment, it's not the light bulb, but, and it talks a lot about how bars, pubs, and coffee shops were often where a lot of great ideas and innovations came from because it was people just tossing ideas around and all of these different perspectives and all of the energy that was really what was causing people to make these new connections. So are you saying basically at the start of being able to go down the path of starting to think more innovatively and disruptively is to tune your mind towards the process rather than the outcome? No, don't just look for the aha moment, but look for all of the different things that may ultimately and eventually lead up to an aha moment. That's 100% correct, Jeff. And I will say, you know, ex-IBM Watson guy here, Watson was conceived of in a bar. Was it really? It really was. That, that was the whole thing. It, you know, some smart engineers hanging around, trying to think like what would be the next big thing to try and do. 
you know, done the chess and all these things, and Jeopardy happened to be playing, and people start, ah, could a computer play Jeopardy? I mean, is that hard? And we start thinking about it. It's like, well, language is kind of funky. <laughs> Machines uh, have problems understanding us, and cognitive cap- and that, you know, suddenly sees like, one person's throwing out one dot and the person starts talking about another dot. And slowly you get people starting to piece them all together and boom, suddenly it's like, let's, let's build a computer that can play Jeopardy. Mm. Always, that's a whole nother episode. I would love to figure <laughs> out Cause it always sounded to me like that should be pretty straightforward. Just give it like all the facts in the world to memorize and sort of like Google, right? Like if you could construct the search query properly, you can get the right result. But anyway, that's, yeah, but, I don't uh, want to go too far down that rabbit hole because no, we can spend I'll, all day on I'll throw the gauntlet down, have everyone try and say, you know, next time you're in Google, put in something like show restaurants near me, but not pizza. Guess what you get? Pizza? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Unless you know the search modifier with the minus, then you can say oh, no yeah. pizza. Yeah, that, that was the challenge, natural language. It wasn't obvious right away. Yeah. Right? yeah. That was kind of the connect the dots aha moment. Yeah. All right. So that makes sense to me logically that like, okay, you need to pay attention to all of the dots leading up to the aha moment. But practically speaking, where does that leave me in terms of a starting point, right? So what do, what do I have to do to start thinking more innovatively? Is there like a practice that you recommend or a habit worth forming? Like how do you recommend starting down this path of, of altering the way that you think? Great question, Jeff. And it really starts with what I call Tuckbo, which is a framework I came up with during my management consulting days to actually kind of do this kind of, you know, disruptive thinking and actually able to teach other people. And so Tuckbo starts, stands for think different, understand different, create different, be different, own different. And the first step, think different. Think different. Got it. So that's the first step. Can you go through them again? Say them one more time. Think different. Sure. They're all different. I know. Yep. Think different, understand different, create different, be different, own different. Okay. Let's go through them. Let's go through the process then. So Take it starts with thinking different, which everyone's like, great. That's not a whole lot of help, Neil. Well, it's trying to see the world in a slightly different perspective, if you will. And I found three very effective techniques to help us start finding these dots to do that. And the first one is what I call multi-purpose or repurpose. I mean that sometimes there's actually something, like innovation in a different industry that might actually be applicable and transferable with some, some modification into your own industry. And I, I love to tell the story about Exxon Valdez because I know I'm being myself because it's a great example of actually applying, applying this mindset. So for those of you who don't remember, it was one of the worst oil spills and you know human history off the Alaskan coast, and they just couldn't clean it up fast enough. And so Exxon offered a million dollar prize to anyone that could come up with something that would speed up the process. And there was some engineer guy that came out and proposed this kind of like bubble-like technology. So you know Exxon tried it, worked like a charm. Really, I think I think they said it cut down the process by almost two thirds and clean up the oil spill. And Exxon's telling this guy, "This is amazing. You should like patent this and start a business. You'll be like a billionaire." And the guy's like, "Well, I really can't do that." They're like, "Why not?" And he's like, "Well, 
this is actually the way we've been cleaning up chemical spills at DuPont for the last 30 years. Oh, wow. like, what? And he's like, yeah. Um, like, well, how'd you figure this out then? And he's like, I just thought about it and I figured, you know, oil is a chemical. This is how we clean chemical spills. It'll probably work. And it did. Got it. So it's about uh, changing the context of where you're looking for the solution. Try something completely different. Where would you say you're starting with things that are adjacent or close by to what you're already doing? Like in this case, it does make sense dealing with oil and then you move to chemical, like seems close enough. How would you recommend somebody who's maybe a, uh, somebody who works in finance or an attorney? Where would you recommend that maybe they start in this same sort of idea? Well, you might be surprised what would be in an adjacent kind of industry because I like to think around the box. So you think about like if you're in finance or your legal services, what are some of the things you do? And a lot of that is actually talking with clients and getting not just basic information, but risk assessment and facts, you know, to help them achieve whatever they're trying to do. Are there other areas that do that? Yeah, you think about mental health and therapy and psychology. They actually do something very similar. Ironically, police departments do the same thing. When they take a police report, they have to get some basic information, all these things. So interestingly enough, uh, you know, the police have actually been looking at using AI chatbots. Actually, some departments have started to actually take police reports. So get that initial set of information, kind of help triage and free up police officer time to actually be on the streets or you know, do the investigations. What's happening now is actually, I've actually seen some of the, the courts and some of the law firms and actually some therapists and uh, public defenders now looking at that police model saying like, could I do something similar for my own work? Like you take a public defender, they have huge caseloads, right? The, the first time they're often talking to their client is five minutes before the trial's about to start. So the fact they could actually tap into some of these tools and actually apply them, they're, they're realizing, wow, uh, there's huge value in me doing that. And I didn't have to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. I, have to, I can adapt what the police departments have done for my own industry. That makes perfect sense. Um, I any and there's so much for us to talk about it in the in the AI space, and I have so many questions and potential pushbacks and uh, curiosities about the whole thing. So we'll we'll get to that in a second. Um, but uh, so this is all falling under the heading of the T inside of Tuckbo, right? So that's we're talking a, about thinking. Key, so that that's one of three techniques I share with people to actually be able to think differently. Okay, can you share the other two? Of course, the 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 second technique is to actually challenge assumptions. So this one of the things we actually struggle because assumptions, some of them are around for so long, we just assume they're, I shouldn't say assume, we think they're actually just true. They've always held true. And so we never think twice about that. You think about some of the things you do in life, some of the things you, you take for granted are actually assumptions. And I, I like to share the story of the guy that started Zipcar, a great example of this, where, he was thinking around one day when he was a, you know, a younger man that my car is the most expensive thing I have and I barely use it. So he actually researched it and he found out the average American spends about an hour per day in their car. So 23 hours of idle time, he's like, that's not a real great use of an asset. 
you know? So he's like, what, why is this? And well, the assumption was, you know, unless you're in like a highly high density urban type of area, you really need a car to get around, right? So the assumption was most people need to own cars. So he challenged that and said, well, why, why do you have to? What if you can just get a car on demand? What if I just a convenient place and every time I need a car, I just go and pay for what I use? That's how he started Zipcar. Wound up disrupting the rental car market and freaking those guys out until I think Avis bought them. But his thinking then sparked other people start thinking where it's like, well, why do you have to even drive the car? Why, right? Why do you even have you know, access to a vehicle? There's plenty of people driving around for one reason or another. What if you could just match make with someone that's going your general direction? Well, that started the whole thing around ride shares like Uber, Lyft, DD, Cacao, and all those guys. They started thinking about, you know, carpool on demand. Wound up actually dis disrupting the rental car taxi market right there. So, and then somebody came in and said, uh, well, we're assuming that we actually have to go and meet others in person. What if we just stayed in the corner of our living room or home office and never left the house? And oh. then Zoom came in and was like, hey, we should have video conferencing technology. It's real easy and uh, inexpensive. Uh, that's that's the funny part. I, you know, I, I, I teach part time at the, the university. And I, I kid you not, Jeff, for 10 plus years, they've been saying like, well, we could never really do virtual classes. They're just never really going to work. And then the pandemic hits and suddenly we're thrust into it. And someone is like, hey, this actually works really well. Hmm. I like it. So what I've gathered so far from the, the two out of the three that you've given in terms of thinking is one, change the context of how you're looking at the solution. Look at other uh, industries, look at other people that may have solved similar problems and start to try and populate your mind with as many of those dots that you can connect as possible. Second one being challenge your assumptions. So look at everything that you believe to be true and potentially flip it on its head and say, what if it wasn't true? Uh, or look for other ways to make it not actually true. Uh, have I have I sufficiently covered the two out of three so far? Did I just perfect? Yeah. Okay, perfect. good. I like to recap so I make sure I'm understanding. So that's how I go through frameworks. All right. So what's the third one then? So the third one is cultivate a different perspective. And this is the hardest one to do because it's like, how do you see the forest from the trees? It's hard for us to step back from something, especially when something's not necessarily broken. And we're looking for a way to, to quote unquote fix it. So this is the one where the, the greatest potential opportunity actually stems from, but it's the hardest for people to do. I, I'll share a personal example where uh, about a month ago I was you know, talking at a big summit and afterwards I was on a panel with some people. One of the things I was talking about, the uh, really importance of the, about the future work and soft skills like communication, collaboration and so forth. And one of the women on the panel actually, she said this thing, she's like, I, I totally agree with Neil except for one thing. I don't like the term soft skills. I prefer to say essential skills. Right, she's like soft skills actually has a bad connotation because those for the longest time were associated with like you know like female skills and so they became soft skills. And I was like, whoa, you know, I never thought of that actually. And that's kind of a bit of an eye opener for me, right? Change my perspective. Yeah. So what? Um, so I think in each of these, I think the easiest one to attack out of all of these and changing your thinking is challenging your assumptions. 
I think that one's a pretty straightforward one because you just list out all of your assumptions and then go about systematically challenging them one by one. So look at everything you believe about a problem and then do that, right? Changing context, I think, is probably the next easiest. I think, obviously, as you mentioned, cultivating a different perspective is probably the hardest of it. So what would you say are some shortcuts or methods that people can use? And I think the example you gave is a really good one. You know, you come from, you know, for instance, a man's perspective and then considering a woman's perspective on the issue or looking at the language and then maybe identifying and looking at each of the different pieces of that language and how others might potentially relate to the language that's being used there. Do you have any sort of... Um, frameworks within this framework for how to look at changing your perspective in a more effective way? Um, I, I, I do, and there's, there's also obviously a lot of great other tools out there, but it's really about understanding the different stakeholders or personas and actually putting yourself in their shoes. Ah, uh, we're talking about empathy now. Empathy, exactly. That, that's just, that's just, it's interesting just because people think like, well, I understand my customer. I'm like, but you're not actually the customer. You know, and, and that's where the people struggle. I, I used to sit on the, the board of my alumni association and, you know, people would always come up with these ideas and stuff. And I'd always be the going, I was like, well, do the alumni care about this? Are they going to get value from that? They're like, well, we're alumni. We know. I'm like, no, no, no. We're super alumni, right? We're here giving our time, volunteering all this stuff because we care and it's a great time, but we're not representative of the average alumni, and I probably had half the room want to smack me by saying that. I mean, but you're right there. And I think it actually illuminates potentially what is the most direct route is, as obvious as it sounds is if you want to cultivate a different perspective, get other people's perspectives, like literally just go ask other people that That's are not right. you and consider those perspectives. Yeah. You know, like they say, talk to your customer. That's why it's so important. You know, teaching Right, most, most of the other professors, I suspect some of the other teachers come in and say like, well, if I'm teaching the subject, these are the 10 things the students have to learn. My approach has always been like, well, if I was a student, what do I care about, right? University level teaching like MBAs, they wanna get jobs, man. They're gonna graduate in a few months. So they're gonna wanna learn stuff that's gonna help them get that job, which is why I tune my thing, which is why, you know, Gratefully, I've gotten such good things, but I've had so many students actually tell me after they graduate, it's like, I've actually been able to use what you taught me. In fact, some of them said like, I've actually been able to teach my department the stuff you've taught me and use it. So again, nice. it's just like, even being you know, disrupting the classroom was put myself in the shoes of a student. Got it. All right. So we've covered uh, three different ways to uh, be more innovative and disruptive in your thinking, uh, changing the context, challenging assumptions, and cultivating a different perspective. So now we move into the you part of Tuckbo, uh, and that's understand things differently. How do we go about understanding things differently? So this is really saying like, okay, I have the idea, but is it actually a good idea? So is there value to it? And that's, that's unfortunately one thing I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs kind of gloss over because like, I, I know the customer, or I, I understand the problem and it makes sense in my head, but is there enough value there? And that's what you're actually doing here. So you're, you're doing a, you have to do a couple of things here. One is apply constructive conflict. So you're not trying to like shoot down your idea or find the million reasons it's not going to work. You're trying to stress test it a bit and say like, hey, what am I proposing? Does this actually fulfill an unmet need? Does it solve a problem? Does it do it better than other things that are out there? Do I actually understand what the problem is? 
you know, and you, you work with people like customers or people that understand the space or the industry to that. Second is really about finding synergy where you don't need to try and do everything off by yourself. I'm very big about not reinventing the wheel. So this becomes more about the partnership. So there are other people out there that do some of these pieces that you can actually partner up with rather than have to try and do the whole thing yourself. Bring your, your core differentiator, your core advantages to bear and take advantage of the infrastructure that already exists. And that's, that's again, one thing where a lot of people struggle. I, I remember like hearing all these pitches about people like, we're gonna do this, we're gonna build a community around our product and like that, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, why don't you just tap into Instagram or TikTok? You know, they've already got the communities built. Just leverage that platform. Why are you going to waste time and money trying to do that yourself? You know, got especially it. when those guys have already done it successfully. Got it. So um, I just want to check in with this just to make sure that I understand the, the Tuckbow methodology and framework that you've come up with. This is... Uh, for lack of a better term, a sequential sort of thing, right? Like you're starting with your thinking and then you're moving into the understanding. Cause as you started out with stress test, I'd imagine you can't even get into stress testing until you've started to just think about things in a different way, right? So once you've gathered kind of a more um, holistic perspective on things, you've brought in different perspectives, challenge your assumptions and change the context to try things. Now you're moving into the stress testing and if you get past that point, then you're able to leverage existing infrastructure and existing um, platforms so that you're not reinventing the wheel. So that, for the most part, is absolutely spot on, Jeff. The one thing I'd say is, well, the TUC, the tuck part, is linear. The BO, sorry there, but the bow part is actually done in parallel. We'll, we'll, we'll get there, audience. Please be patient. Got it. Okay, cool. All right, good stuff. Well, I just wanted to make sure that I was understanding so that uh, as those are following along, taking notes, they understand that there's a, there's sometimes it, there's a nonlinear thinking and, or nonlinear frameworks and there's linear frameworks. So I just want to make sure I was understanding it. Okay, so under understand so far, I've got the, the stress testing, looking for constructive conflict, kind of arriving at solutions to make sure things are working and then making sure to leverage um, existing pre-existing partnership opportunities or, or resources, uh, platforms, anything that will help to, you know, limit the amount of time it takes you to actually bring this idea to market and disrupt and innovate. Spot on, Jeff. That's All right, so are we up to create now or are we still in understand? No, we're now we're to create. So this is where we really design and implement our idea. This is where the rubber meets the road. And there's just two critical things we got to do here. One is actually define the experience. So as we actually build out whatever our product or service is, or you know, whatever the idea is, it's creating a program for nonprofit. If you think about the experience that gets attached to that, because everything we do today kind of revolves around how we interact and engage with it. So you always hear about the hotel experience or the student experience or the plane experience. A product isn't just a thing anymore. It's kind of an association attachment. So you, some people call this the brand, mm -hmm. you know, the brand value or the brand association. These are all the things that actually come into play. Can you elaborate on what you mean by experience a little bit more? Because I think that that's a word that we use, and I think we all have an association with the word experience, but as it relates to innovative thinking and specifically, you know, bringing new ideas, new products, new services into market, when you get into experience, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. So 
how would you go about thinking through what, what is an experience and who is it for and, and how deep down that rabbit hole do you go when you say experience? Well, let me, let me do that through an example. That might be the best way to help everybody. So I, one of the things I've actually done in my career, and I did employ Tuckbo for this, was I helped take Starbucks back to China successfully. And so if you don't know the history, they, their, their first store and their first foray didn't work out well. In fact, they went up getting kicked out. And so in trying to help them get back, one of the things was around the experience aspect. And so if you think about Starbucks, well, well, you know, it's designed around being an Italian barista experience. Well, in, in China, traditionally tea drinking society, not coffee, it doesn't quite resonate. And most people aren't familiar with Italian baristas out there. And so to make Starbucks successful, there's a bazillion things we need to do. But one of them was also define what's that experience when they go into a store. And so we actually repurposed it into an American experience. So let's go with what they know. And so if you want to get a little taste of what for like American life is, as well as a kind of a hangout place, because in Chinese culture, meals or, you know, tea ceremony stuff is very, there's a lot of formality and there's social conformities and other things you do. They're not used to kind of a hangout culture. They see it on like TV and movies. And so that became actually defining that experience. And so when we implemented the stores in China, because now it's an American experience, it kind of changes a little bit of the look and feel and the vibe of the stores. And so the furniture, the layout, all these things now change. So the implementation now is dependent upon this experience of an American coffee shop. In that example, I immediately went back to cultivate a different perspective and challenge assumptions as well as change context. So uh, I see thinking as being this thing that's probably going to be um, present in each of these different stages, but particularly when you're looking at the experience, it can be very easy, much like bringing a product to market to think, oh, well, this is the experience it should be versus kind of going through at the create level, all of the the prior steps that you would go through in thinking and, and understanding it as well is to challenge your own assumptions with it and to cultivate a different perspective. Because I, I think to that point, the reason it failed the first time is because probably somebody defined the experience and they defined it in the context that they already understood without challenging that assumption. So I'd imagine that that's a really important point here is that as you're defining that experience, you got to bring back all that stuff you're, you're starting out with in thinking. 100%. Look, Starbucks... It's not like they're, they're dummies or anything like that. They, they went and said, like, we've created over 500 stores at this point. We know how to do it. The problem is, is not a whole lot of understanding, again, about the market and the customer. None of the Starbucks folks in charge of that the first time around had even been to China. Mm -hmm. I haven't experienced the culture. So you get to see, obviously, some of the challenge in that. Yeah. All right. So, so let's assume that we've designed this experience. Now we've gone through the, the first part of the tuck bow or the tuck part. Um, is there anything else as it relates to the creation side of things that people need to think about as it relates to innovative and disruptive thinking? So in actually implementing your idea, the, the other piece to the create is make sure you're finding and using the right tools. And I know that's common sense, but we kind of get caught up in the 
the latest is the greatest kind of mentality. And sometimes that's not really necessary. You know, I had a, a guy once come to me and says, I have a fantastic idea to help people do small repairs on their cars. I'm like, okay. He's like, you know, hey, like if you want to change the spark plugs in your car, you could just ask like uh, this AI chatbot I want to build, you know, how to replace the start spark plugs in my Mustang. And it'll pull up the right YouTube video to show me how to do it. I'm like, well, yeah, you, you could do that, but you don't really need AI for that. You know, yeah. YouTube actually has a pretty good search engine. So he was a little disappointed, but it's like, use the right tools. That's really going to be the key thing. Mm -hmm. And also, I would imagine that example you've given is make sure that, and this kind of, I think, goes back to... Um, uh, the, the part and understand about leveraging existing platforms is like, also understand if you're building a tool that already exists, like, you know, or, or trying to, um, you know, use a tool where there's an existing tool that's probably already better for the, for the job. A hundred percent. Is there, um, are there a set of, um, you know, starter questions that you encourage people to think about when picking a tool like you know does a tool like this already exist what are our most critical features what is the number one pain point we can overcome with this like what are there any things like that that you recommend or that you have a standard set of or a resource yeah i, I, I do and it, it is the list of questions we're talking about jeff and you actually got some of them right there right one always oh, do your research <laughs> Always do your research. There might be something out there that you find surprising and see how good is that tool? Is it a match or not? And make sure it's not about perfection. If that tool gives you 80% of what you need, that's pretty good. Got it. All right, cool. All right, so we've gotten through tuck, I think, right? Yep. Anything left on create? So we're up to the bow, which is happening in parallel with the tuck. That's right. So All right, take us into it. We'll start with the B, which is be different. So this really means that we have to own whatever innovation disruption that we're actually creating. Mm -hmm. So we have the great idea, we've done the validation, the value, we've you know, built it, but from a organizational standpoint, we have to live and breathe. So we have to actually create the buy-in for whatever change we're, we're bringing to bear, as well as create the culture to actually support it. And the be different as well as the own different are the, the places I see most people stumble the most. They either skip it or they just don't do it correctly. I'd imagine this is also the hardest part, right? Because you're dealing in the intersection of brand, leadership, culture, um, and all of those are, are difficult to move quickly. Um, and sometimes you may find that you have the wrong pieces in place, which you know, it's not like swapping out a part on a car, you know, sometimes this can be a, a long process. So when you talk about the process of being ready for that, when does that start? I'm sure it doesn't happen when you get up to the, the B, it probably happens along the ways you're going through it. You have to start thinking about your team and your leadership and your brand and all of that. Yeah, that, that's why it's parallel. If you, when you start identifying the value propositions, you have to start helping people, especially have employees understand now where their place is going to be with this disruption that's the, really the key thing and that's everyone thinks i should say everyone most leaders think that when they have a great idea everyone will get it right they'll get the value they'll get the money they'll get the opportunity and it's like most people are resistant to change right i, I learned that the hard way being a guy that always sought the path of most resistance 
because that's that's where you find opportunity. But for most people, it's like, uh, why why are we doing this? And we never really answer those questions for them. And Got so it. we really have to invest the time and energy to do that. So you, you look at Facebook, right? They're transforming themselves into this new company called Meta, really emphasizing virtual reality. And a lot of people are just kind of looking at this going like, huh, what? what's going on? Why are they doing this? Are they doing this because they have bad PR, right? Maybe that's part of it, but- it's Probably part of it. <laughs> but they also, got the right, they also got the right idea. You know, this whole concept of a virtual world is really starting to accelerate. And they're trying to jump out ahead of it. I, I get that. But again, it's, it, I'm sure for like Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg, it makes intuitive sense, but that's not gonna be true across the board. So if they don't really build that culture and work at it, they don't get the right team in place. Don't get the buy-in through the well to find value propositions. They could get sabotaged internally. And I've seen this happen even with global Fortune 50 companies. They have the absolute right idea at the right time. They're executing as well as they can, but because they never get the buy-in, they get passive aggressive behavior or internal sabotage to what's going on. Well, I, for one, certainly hope that they fail. Uh, That's my (laughs) personal opinion on Facebook. I hope that they fail miserably. Um, so we're in the B section of, of Tuckbow and we're talking about getting as a leader, communicating the mission and the vision to the team. We're talking about having the right team in place. We're talking about living and breathing this idea, making sure that your brand is reflective of it. You know, when you think about the place that that begins, do you see that as more of a leadership driving the conversation, a groundswell of the entire organization from the bottom up really supporting this idea? Or, you know, how do you recommend that people think about the process of of living into these new ideas and becoming this new innovation? Well, it, it revolves around a lot of what's called organizational change management, right? This is we always talk about people, process, technology, Jeff. Well, process is pretty mature. We've got a much better handle on technology, but people are still the main challenge. Is how do you kind of bring them on board? Most people, when they talk about a new idea or disruption, they talk about moving like a thing. They forget we also have to move the people. And this is what really being different around is figure out the best way to move the people. Got it. Okay, cool. Anything left under B for us to, categor- uh, to, to to go through? No, but I'm sure a lot of people's minds are going. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, hard. absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, so the, the final, take us through the O of Tuckbo. So O is own different. And so this means we actually need to build the infrastructure for our disruption to ensure adoption. Because if you know people aren't using it, aren't buying it, it's not going to go anywhere. And I really like to highlight Tesla as a great example of actually owning different. They weren't the first electrical vehicle manufacturer, right? They've had the most success, the best adoption. It's not just because they have nice looking cars that are relatively fast. They actually went out and addressed the biggest barrier people had to actually buying an EV, which was, I'm scared I'd run out of charge. 
And while a lot of the other manufacturers took the tact of, well, the cities, the government agencies need to build out the infrastructure, Tesla said like, well, if we want to be successful, we have to build it ourselves. And so they went out and actually negotiated all the spaces, all these things, and actually put the money in to build all these supercharging stations. Without that infrastructure, without owning that, they never would have gotten off the ground. They would have had the same exact failure point as everybody else. And that's, I think, the one, another one thing that a lot of organizations overlook. They're like, I know I've got the right product. I've got the, the buy-in, all these kinds of things. But it's like people don't have an effective way to use it. The infrastructure you need for it doesn't exist. I mean, imagine trying to use your smartphone when there's no internet connection provided anywhere, right? Someone has to actually build that out. And when it comes to smartphones, your carriers are actually the ones that have to invest and build that infrastructure to sell their, their plans and their services. Mm -hmm. So own that different. Um, it immediately makes me think of McDonald's. I recently saw um, uh, the founder, the movie Michael Keaton, everything, and and um, just the the whole move of McDonald's realizing that they weren't in the business of burgers and fries; they were in the business of real estate, yep. and that it was actually them owning all of the land that the McDonald's are on and leasing it back to the franchise owners. The McDonald's became McDonald's. It wasn't even the burgers and shakes and the Happy Meals. It was the real estate. So I think there's a, a really interesting point to be made there to think about what is the actual business that you're in and looking for what is the thing that you're actually owning? Oh, hundred percent. I love your founder example. Yeah. They don't make a lot of money. I think they were making, what is it? A third of a cent off each hamburger. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it, so yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, any other aspects of own that we need to cover? That, that really sums it up in a nutshell. But like I said, it's something that people often overlook. So invest the time to think about the infrastructure you need. I dig it. I dig it, man. Okay, so we, we've covered the entire Tuckbow framework here. And this, uh, for those of you who have stuck with us this whole time and have followed the whole framework, is a framework for you to go through the process of thinking about thinking differently, innovating and being disruptive. So if you're bringing a new product or idea to market, following this Tuckbow formula, gives you a series of different things for you to, to check in with yourself on so that you're challenging your preconceived beliefs about why it's going to work and maybe give yourself that, that little bit of doubt that lets you to innovate and build it a little bit better so that you can make it a success. So I hope that you've been uh, taking notes and following right along. Uh, Neil, do you have any uh, resources or websites or places for people to go where they can also get uh, anything like this, uh, like any of your notes or any resources, blog posts or anything that gives a little more uh, color to all of this? Yeah, so actually starting uh, in January, you'll find a lot of this information about Tuckbo on my website, which is just my name, neilso.com, as well as I'm actually 90% of the way done writing my book on Tuckbo. So hopefully that'll be in shelves right in the near future. Good stuff. Well, um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this framework. Um, is there anything uh, before we go, you know, just secret sauce or uh, anything that people really need to think about that helps to make this work that much better? Any, any big tips there? And then I also want to ask you one more question about measurement. So how do people know that this was a resounding success outside of, well, now I have a unicorn company that's worth billions? Well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll uh, say two things uh, on this to help everyone along. So one, uh, don't get into the, the trap that, hey, I can't do this. As soon as you say, I can't do it or it's hard, well, you won't do it. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
So you got to get really in the right mindset. So just think about like, it doesn't matter how crazy the idea is. There might be a nugget in there that going through Tuckboff refines that, you know, raw ore into a nice polished stone, if you will. The second is, you know, if, if you're really struggling, when you start going down this path, don't think about the reasons why it won't work. Think of, ask yourself the question, how can I make this work, right? It'll force you to at least explore. Maybe you don't find the path, that's okay. But most people don't take the time to try and say, is it even feasible? Well, just ask yourself, how can I make this work? At least you'll give that a fair shot. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, before I let you go, tell people where they can go and connect with you, learn more about you, hire you to be a speaker, buy your book, all that sort of good stuff. Now's the chance for you to just unabashedly self-promote. <laughs> well, definitely come to my website, which is my name, neilsohoda.com. You can actually see, learn a little more about myself, my current work, I'm always posting the latest, greatest stuff as well as if you're interested in me as a speaker or running a, a workshop or want more information on my book, Own the Air Revolution, it's all there. And of course, my book is available at every major bookseller, including Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And if you want to contact me, you can contact me through the website or feel free to connect with me through social media via like LinkedIn, Twitter, or even Instagram. Awesome, man. And I will put all of that stuff in the show notes so people can just very quickly and easily consult the show notes, tap the link, and you'll be able to get right in touch with Neil. Neil, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, anytime somebody shares a framework, uh, I think that frameworks are, are one of my favorite things, and I think they're one of the best ways for us to learn and grow. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on and sharing one because I think frameworks are uh, worth telling other people about. I think this episode is probably something that people should uh, send to someone that they know and, and care about, and they think we'll get some value out of it, which I guess would make this episode shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy Shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing. You see, Shareable is just one of many projects that I'm working on at any given time. I've got another podcast called Rogue. I do a live streaming show every week called The Heroic Council. I've got a blog where I release a blog post twice a week. And if you're looking to keep up with all sorts of different content that can help you grow and become a superhero in life, I want you to check out jeffgibber.me. That's where I list all of my current projects and projects that are coming up in the future, including my forthcoming book, The Lovable Leader. It would mean a lot to me if you could go and check out some of the other things I've worked on because I put just as much of my heart into those projects as I do into Shareable. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for being a supporter. And I hope to see you here on the next episode of Shareable.